Good afternoon, everybody. David, I remember to say afternoon. It's time to begin our service. Almost just said tonight again. Today, we will have uh, three songs, and then Mike will have our reading and prayer, one more song, and then Chris will have our lesson this evening. It's afternoon. That's really hard to keep straight. <laughs> you get used to saying one word. And Our first song today is number 708. One moment, please. Okay, we might have to do song books until they get that going. 708, Walking in Sunlight. There should be a little bar up there, and you connect to the projector that way. Yeah, Jeremy, please go help him. <laughs> 708, we'll do songbooks until uh, we get that going. It's Walking in Sunlight. If you would let stand for this first song, please. Oh, he got it going. Sweet. Walking in sunlight. Walking in sunlight, oh, next song is number 500 500 O thou fount of every every blessing oh thou fount of every blessing 
Our next song is going to be on the overhead only. It's Sanctuary. Sanctuary. Reading this evening is going to come from Matthew chapter 1. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we come to you at this time, Lord. So thankful, Father, that we can, can be here again this evening, this afternoon. And Father, we just thank you for this first day of the week that we can come to worship you, Lord, and sing praises to you and we're so thankful for your wisdom, Father, to establish the church, and we're thankful for the church here at Rome, and Father, we're just thankful for, for Jesus and for the hope of eternal life that we have through, through him and for your plan of salvation, and, and Father, we uh, are mindful of those that are struggling with health issues, Lord, and so many that, that have so many needs that you, you know those needs, Father, and and we pray and we lift those individuals up to you, Father, and we pray for Chris's mom, Debbie, as she'll be coming home today from the hospital. We'll just pray for her healing and, and just be with her and bless her. And, and Father, be with all those that are dealing with COVID at this time. There's, um, be with Judy Gerald and be with her recovery and, and be with Sandy's uh, brother and sister-in-law, um, Roger and Diana Duncan, just bless them and, and all the others, Father. We just pray pray for our country at this time that we can get through this uh, awful virus and 
There can be medicines that are developed to, to help lessen the effects. And, and Lord, just uh, so thankful, Father, for uh, the baptism uh, we had yesterday for Sarah, her decision to, to put you on in um, baptism. We, again, are so thankful, Father, for your plan of salvation that, um, that you give us a way that we can, can be saved. And we thank you for her desire to do so. And we just pray for her and be with us as her brothers and sisters to help her and, um, as she begins this journey. And, and Father, we just uh, ask your blessings upon our service this evening. I uh, pray that you will uh, be with us, be with Chris, help him to remember those things that he has prepared to present. Pray that we will listen with an open mind and um, be attentive to his, his lesson and pray that we will be better um, better listeners and, and just be um, better Christians, Father, that will take what we hear and apply it to our lives and that we'll live for you each and every day, Father, just not on Sundays and just help us to do that and help us to grow in wisdom and knowledge and, and just be with us, Father, and watch over us and forgive us when we do fall short and sin against you, Lord. And it's through Jesus Christ I do pray. Amen. Matthew 1, uh, verses 6 through 8. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. Mike, I think Chris has something against you tonight with all those names. <laughs> Our song before the lesson this evening is number 836, The Great Redeemer. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. 836, The Great Redeemer. How I love the great
please be seated. Our song of invitation will be number 655, There's a Fountain Free. Good evening. You ever taken down a picture off the wall, and uh, you look at the wall, and the wall just doesn't look right? It's maybe the, the big, blank, empty space has really captured your attention, and uh, the wall just doesn't look right. You notice something is missing. Uh, that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. If you've got your Bible still open to Matthew chapter 1, you look down and you start seeing the genealogy that we've been studying through, don't you? So what we've been trying to do, we're calling it binge reading through the Bible. A lot of us binge Netflix or binge Hulu, binge a certain show, and we just watch a ton of that show. That's not all that helpful, is it? Because it doesn't really matter what's going on in the TV world, but it does matter what's going on in the Bible. And so we want to binge read Scripture. So in an effort to do that, we've been walking through some of these uh, these men and women who Jesus finds in his genealogy. Matthew has provided for us uh, his genealogy there in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, and we've been walking through some of the names and their stories from the Old Testament. Lately, we've been in the books of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And we'll be there again tonight in 2 Chronicles, starting in chapter 21. Uh, but as you look down in Matthew 1, you'll see Jehoshaphat. We talked about him last week. A good king. A, a decent, good, godly man. Although, of course, he had his faults. He's going to have a son named Jehoram. Jehoram is not a good king. But then after that, things start getting a little dicey in Matthew's gospel, doesn't it? Um, Matthew skips over three kings. In fact, if you look back in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find that he goes uh, from Jehoshaphat to Joram, also known as Jehoram, to a man named Uzziah. So Matthew skips over three kings. I wonder why. Tonight we're going to talk about why. As we talk about Joram, or his other name, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son. So you can find his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 21. So that's where we're going to start. We're just going to walk through Jehoram's life as well as tell the story of the missing three kings in Matthew chapter 1, why Matthew doesn't record them, and what we can learn from all four of these, these kings. Jehoram is... If you notice in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, he is Jehoshaphat's oldest son. He becomes king because Jehoshaphat wants him to be king. He passes the kingdom down to uh, Jehoram. Jehoram has lots of brothers and sisters. Uh, and so there is competition for the throne. Although that competition is only in Jehoram's mind. Jehoshaphat has given the kingdom to Jehoram, his oldest boy. And so Jehoram is king. But he looks around and he sees all these other competitors for the throne, his brothers. And so he kills them. Every single one of them kills them all. Um, now, if you look in verse 6 of Second Chronicles chapter 21, you get an inkling as to why he did this. Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 6, he says, And he walked, talking about Jehoram, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Remember, he's a king of Judah. Remember, we... we we're, we've been in the section uh, called the divided kingdom, and so you've got the southern nation of Judah, the two king, uh, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin 
are now in the south. And then the ten tribes known as Ephraim, <clears throat> the kingdoms known as Ephraim or Israel, have been meeting in the, in the north. They have their own government. They have their own religion. They have their own taxes, even their own king. And this particular king of Judah is acting like and walking in the paths of these northern kings. These guys are idolatrous and immoral to the man, every one of them. There's about 20 of them from the start of the northern nation all the way to the end of it. There's about 20 kings that reign over that northern nation. Every single one of them is bad. Every single one of them is evil. This guy's acting like one of them. Well, wonder why. It seems odd that a king of Judah, one of David's descendants, this guy's supposed to be on the throne of Judah. He is a good, righteous man. At least he's supposed to be. But this particular man's not. And you wonder why. Well, we don't have to wonder why for long because Second Chronicles tells us. Verse 6, he says, And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done. Ahab's the most wicked king out of, out of all the wicked kings in the northern nation of Israel. Ahab's top of the list. This guy's the baddest bad. He's not an idiot, and he's not a weak king, but he is an evil king. As you read through Ahab's story in the Old Testament, you kind of come away thinking, well, this guy's just, he's a, he's a weak guy. He's not weak. Um, he is spiritually weak, and so God portrays him as weak, but he's not a weak king, at least not, uh, as the world would consider him weak. He's a warrior king. And in fact, you find reference to Ahab and Israel uh, in the, uh, the annals all around um, the kingdoms around them have record of Ahab and, uh, and of his wars and the things that he did. But God sees him as a very weak man, uh, spiritually speaking. <clears throat> this guy's just like that. Uh, and so the, the chronicler compares him to the house of Ahab. Now, why in the world would he do such a thing as that? That just seems odd that this guy who's supposed to be righteous is not righteous. In fact, he looks an awful lot like Ahab. Why? You don't have to wonder long. Finish out verse 6. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. You remember last week we talked about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's one downfall, if we can think about it like that, was that he buddied up too close to the kings of Israel. In the beginning, Jehoshaphat had kept them at arm's length. He didn't want to have much to do with them. Uh, he was fortifying himself and his country against those people, against the, 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 the sin that was in the northern nation. we got to keep sin at more than arm's length. And Jehoshaphat got that early on, but something happened uh, as he continued reigning, and he became pretty close to some of the, king, the, the kings in the northern nation of Israel. So close, in fact, that he marries his son to Ahab's daughter. Now, that doesn't seem like that big a deal, maybe to, to us. Um, but biblically speaking, it's going to be a big deal for um, Jehoshaphat's descendants. And so we see that even though the sin is not passed down from the father to the son, the consequences of the sin can be, can't it? And we see that in our own lives uh, and you're familiar with that concept. And that's, that's what's happening here. Jehoshaphat's sin, this buddying up, being friends with the northern nation of Israel, their kings, his son's going to have to pay the consequences for it. In fact, his uh, next several generations are going to pay the consequence for that particular sin. Because he marries Ahab's daughter. You're going to find out later that her name's Atahalia. Um, she is not a nice person. The rest of verse 6 concludes by saying, And he did... Jehoram did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so 
The rest of his story is found here, just one chapter long, in Second Chronicles chapter 21. He uh, goes to war with Edom, uh, with, uh, with Seir, is how it's uh, talked about in Second Chronicles 21. Um, these are Esau's descendants. He also goes to war with Libya. And they uh, are, are uh, the battles there between uh, these two countries are fierce. Uh, in fact, the Syrians, um, excuse me, the, the Edomites and the Libyas uh, revolt against Jehoram and they win. Uh, he gets a letter. who lives in the north, and he's condemning Ahab at this time, he looks down to the south and he finds something that he would like to condemn there as well because God condemns it. And so he sends a letter to Jehoram, king of Judah. A letter came to him from Elijah in verse 12. You hear what the letter says. Thus says the Lord. That's what a true prophet of God says, right? I'm speaking to you, not what I want to say, but this is what the Lord says. The God of David, your father. Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, your father, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah, your grandfather. Both were good men. But have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and have enticed Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem into whoredom, as the house of Ahab led Israel into whoredom. And also you have killed your brothers in your father's house who were better than you. They were more righteous than Jehoram. He killed them. Verse 14, Behold, the Lord will bring a great plague on your people, your children, your wives, and all your possessions. And you yourself will have a severe sickness with a disease in your bowels until your bowels come out because of the disease day by day. And that's how Jehoram's life ends. God kills him via this sickness. But before that happens, in verse 16, you notice that the Philistines as well as the Arabians come up to fight against Judah, and they are going to be successful. They're going to carry off a lot of um, Judah's possessions as well as the king's uh, son and a lot of the stuff that belonged to his house. And so they kill pretty much the entire royal line. If you look in verse 17, you find this guy named Jehoahaz who's going to be introduced to us. He is Jehoram's youngest son. And so... Here's this guy. He's actually got three names, and he's going to become the next king of Israel right after Jehoram dies. So this guy is one of the missing three kings that we find that we don't find in Matthew chapter one. So you gotta start wondering why? Why did God erase these three names? As you, these guys are wicked. These are evil kings, all three of them, including uh, Jehoram. So, but that's not why he doesn't include them because he includes. David's sin with Bathsheba. He includes Tamar and Judah. He includes a lot of black marks against some of these people in Jesus' genealogy. So it's not that they were sinful, certainly, that he excludes them from the list. And so you got to start wondering, why? In Matthew chapter 1, God seems to want to draw attention to the fact that he likes to work through broken and messed up people, which is hope for us, right? Because if you haven't looked in the mirror lately, we're broken, and we sin, and we do things that are not in our best interest, not in the interest of the kingdom. And so God says to us, if you will follow me with your whole heart, I can work through you. But these three kings, they're, not, they're, they're excluded from this list. And it's not because of their sin. So you've got to start wondering, 
why are they excluded? Now, if you're a Hebrew, which Matthew was written to Jewish Christians, if you're a Hebrew, you know these kings. For us, these kings are hard. Getting the genealogy down and seeing the family tree, that's, that's tough. But for them, this had been like the back of their hand, you know? It'd be like rattling off your grandparents' names. These guys would have known it all the way back to Abraham. That was the bread and butter. They had to be able to prove their lineage. And so they would have been very well acquainted with the kings of Israel. Uh, these, these guys' names would have rolled off their tongues like they could never roll off an English tongue. <laughs> but they would have been very, really well acquainted with them. And so when Matthew skips over these three names, most Jewish Christians would raise their hand. You missed some people there, Matthew. And Matthew says, yeah, I know. Then we have to ask, why did you skip them over? It's an interesting question, right? So let's talk about who these kings are. Jehoahaz is uh, one name. This guy's actually got three names. His other name is Ahaziah, and he's also called Azariah in chapter 22. If you just binge read through Scripture here, you start with 2 Chronicles chapter 21. You read about uh, Jehoram, and Ahaziah will be in chapter 22. His son uh, will be in chapter 23, and then his, uh, his grandson will be in chapter 24 uh, and then 25. So... Just read through those sections. They are incredibly interesting and an incredibly sad story. If, you, if you've taken the time to read the sections uh, of the northern nation, the northern kings that we haven't dealt with throughout this study, we've been focused on the, the southern kings of Judah. But if you've taken time to go up and read the northern nation of Israel's kings, their stories read exactly like this. There's espionage, there's assassinations, there's idolatry, there's evil and wickedness that's just replete in their stories, the kings of Judah often say, well, these men were good men. They led Israel in ways of righteousness. They destroyed the high places that the people kept on putting up. Uh, they led people's hearts back to God. Revolution and revival came through these kings. But you're not going to find that with these, these three or four kings here uh, in this section of Scripture. Ahaziah starts ruling in Judah. Um, He's wicked also. Look in uh, verse 3, chapter 22, verse 3. You're going to notice, you're going to see uh, a, a theme running through these kings uh, as you read through it. But let me point it out for you real quick here in chapter 22, verse 3. Uh, Azariah, Ahaziah, Jehoahaz, whatever you want to call this guy, he's got three names. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. Well, Why? Why would you conscientiously, uh, conscientiously make that decision? Well, he tells you, for his mother was his counselor in doing wickedly. So who's his mom? Adahalia, Ahab's daughter. So she's leading her son in ways that are wicked. Um, he is in league with Joram. Joram is the northern nation of Israel's king. If you read through it, it reads a little bit better maybe than I'm trying to portray it today because they, they talk about the northern king of Israel, the southern king of Judah, and they put these names together. But we're dealing with a lot of the names that are sound similar, and some of these guys are even named the same thing. So it, it gets a little confusing here. But Joram is the king of Israel up in the north. He is one of Ahab's descendants. Uh, Ahaziah is king in the southern nation of Judah. This is his uncle, right? Joram is Ahaziah's uncle. And so Joram gets in trouble. 
with some of the surrounding nations, specifically Syria. And so this guy, Ahaziah, brings Judah's troops up north to help him in the battle with Syria. He gets wounded. Joram, the northern nation's king, gets wounded, and he has to go back to this place called Jezreel. If you want to flip over, look in verse 6, 22 verse 6, you'll find where he gets wounded. Um, but what I want you to see is what happens after he gets wounded. Remember, Ahaziah, the, the southern nation of Judah's king, is up there with, with his uncle. Check out what happens. In verse 7, 22 verse 7, But it was ordained by God that the downfall of Ahaziah, that's the southern nation of Judah's king, should come about through his going to visit Uncle Joram, Ahab's son. For when he came there, he went out with Jehoram to meet Jehu, the son of Nimshi. Jehu's going to become the northern nation of Israel's king in just a little bit. Whom the Lord had anointed to destroy the house of Ahab. And when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he met the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who attended Ahaziah, and he killed them. In verse 9 he says, And he searched for Ahaziah, and he was captured while hiding in Samaria, and he was brought to Jehu and put to death. So Jehu kills the northern nation of Israel's king, Joram. He kills all of Ahaziah's family, and then he finds Ahaziah and he kills him. All of this is brought about by the Lord. Next, the next queen, I guess, of Israel is Adahaliah, Ahaziah or Amaziah's mom. Remember, she is Ahab's daughter. Everybody getting confused yet? You really need a family tree for this. You don't have to read through uh, these sections, but I think what the lesson we need to learn from these guys is, is important here. And it ties into what we were talking about this morning. So... Hang with me. Walk through these names and all this history with me for just another few minutes. Adihalia is an evil, evil woman. Remember, she's Ahab's daughter. As soon as she sees that her son has died, you know what she does? She does the maternal thing. Every mother would do it. She goes through and she kills the entire royal family. Isn't that crazy? Just the wickedness and sin that runs through this family's line is astonishing. Uh, and so she destroys the entire royal family of Judah, her own kin, like her own grandchildren or her great-grandchildren. She destroys them. Um, and she rules for six years. Isn't that incredible? Israel just stands by and allows this to happen. What, they, what she doesn't know is that one of the boys, one of uh, Ahaziah, one of her sons, one of her grandsons is still alive. And in fact, someone has put him in the, in the temple, and they have kept him safe for six years. Uh, it's actually a relation to uh, the former king. You can read that later. But she's married to a priest, and so she keeps this boy safe for six years. And finally, the seventh year rolls around. The priest decides, hey, it's time to anoint the new king of Israel. And so he gets an honor guard. All the priests and all the people come around, and at the temple, they uh, anoint this new king. His name's Joash, and he's going to be a good king. He's young, but he's going to be a good king. They anoint him as king over Judah, uh, and they kill anyone who comes up against him, including Adahalia. Look at, look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 12. When Adahalia heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by his pillar, 
at the entrance, and the captains of, uh, and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets, and the singers with their musical instruments leading in the celebration, and Adahalia tore a close and cried, trees and trees. And so everybody, literally everyone in the, in the country is happy that there's a new king in town except her. And she's furious, and she's crying treason, but nobody's going to be able to get behind her to, to restart this movement. She's tried to uh, kept, keep going. Then Yehoda, the priest, brought out the captains who were set over the army, saying to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and anyone who follows her is to be put to death with a sword. For the priest said, Do not put her to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she, was, she went into the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, and they put her to death there. So that ends her reign, and it begins Joash's reign. Joash is going to be a good king, although he starts reigning when he's seven years old. Can you imagine a seven-year-old on the throne of, of Judah? This guy's going to do some good stuff. He's got an uncle, this, this priest named Yehoda, who is a righteous and good man. And as long as Yehoda is alive, Joash is going to do what's right. The problem is Yehoda is an older man by this point. And after a short period of time, he's going to die. Look in verse 15, 24, verse 15. But Yehoda grew old and full of days and died. And he was 130 years old at his death. God gave him extra life, I guess, so he could watch after Joash. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God in his house. Now, after the death of Yehoda, the, priest, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them, and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. They were dull of hearing, right? Their minds had gone on autopilot. They did what they wanted to do. In fact, this is going to come to the point in this next little section, starting in verse 20. Where Joash, the, the king of Israel, he had been saved by Yehoda. Yehoda's son, the new priest, stands up and he accuses the people and Joash of doing wrong, of idolatry and immorality. And you know what Joash does? He has him stoned. He has him killed. To the guy who saved him, he kills his son. Again, the wickedness and evil of this line, this Ahab's line, is astonishing. Finally, uh, the Syrians are going to come up against Joash, and they're going to fight with him, and he's going to be wounded uh, to the point that he has to go back to uh, Judah, and some of his own servants are going to a uh, assassinate him there. Which brings us to Amaziah in Second Chronicles chapter 25, our last king. I know you're excited. All these names are difficult, and the history's tough. I understand. Read through this section on your own, and, and it just kind of comes to life for you, though. Amaziah is our last king. He's the last one that, that uh, Matthew leaves out of his genealogy. He's going to have a son named Uzziah. Uzziah is in Matthew's genealogy, and so we can stop with Amaziah when we hear his story. Um, this, this guy was a good king, too. You look in verse 2 of Second Chronicles chapter 25, you'll find the caveat. He was a good king, but... Second uh, Chronicles chapter 25, verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. So there's a part of this guy that wanted to do right, but there's a, another part of him that wanted to do what he wanted to do. He kills his dad's assassins. 
um, but shows restraint in not killing their children. Um, and you look in verse 4, uh, God ties that to his adherence to the law of Moses. He did right uh, in this. And so his righteousness is on display there. Uh, but then something happens. So Edom, again, the perennial enemy of Israel, raises up and uh, they cause, is, uh, cause Judah some problems. He forms, Amaziah does, this 300,000-man army, uh, which seems like a large army, but he thinks it's not enough. Remember, we're dealing with vast armies during this time, time period. Some of these guys have million-man armies, and so he's got maybe half of that at this point. So he calls up Israel. Remember, they're buddy-buddy now, Judah and Israel. They haven't been, that hasn't been the case for a long time, but now they're buddy-buddy again, thanks to Ahab's line intermarrying with the kings of Judah. So he calls them up and says, I'll pay you to send me 100,000 mercenaries. And so they did. They sent him 100,000 mercenaries, which bulks up his army. But God says, if you, if you use these 100,000 mercenaries, you go to battle with them, I'll destroy everybody. You need to send them home. And he says, well, what am I going to do about the money that I've already given them? And the prophet that's telling them this says something essentially like, well, would you rather die or would you rather lose your money? And Amaziah makes the right choice, makes the righteous choice here. And he loses the money and the guys go home. Um, and he wins. He wins the battle against Edom. And he gets a little too big for his britches there right after this. And he starts picking a fight with the northern king of Israel. And this is Jehu's son now. Jehu and his family does not play. These guys are some serious warriors. And so this guy tries to talk him out of coming up to fight with him. Uh, Amaziah won't hear any of it. And so the northern nation of Israel comes in and they squash the, north, the southern nation of Judah. They take Amaziah, the king, hostage, and they steal uh, all the stuff that belongs to him into uh, the temple. So um, pretty quickly after that, Amaziah, too, is murdered. Now, that's... The stories. Why did Matthew leave these stories out? There's nothing that these men did that was necessarily worse than some of the other people that you find in Jesus' genealogy. So why does he purposely leave them out? Turn back over to 2 Kings chapter 9. I think this is the answer. 2 Kings chapter 9. Remember, each one of these men, each one of these three kings uh, was from... Ahab's lineage. So what happened to Ahab? What happened to his line? Let's, let's check it out. 2 Kings chapter 9, start at verse 1. Then Elisha the prophet called one of the sons of the prophets and said to him, Tie up your garments and take the flask of oil in your hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. And when you arrive, look there for Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, son of Nimshi, and go in and have him rise from among his fellows and lead him to an inner chamber. Now, he's basically sending him into the war council. Uh, Jehu is a general. He's not a king. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He is a warrior. He's a general. And so um, Elisha says, he drafts one of his prophets and says, go over to Jehu and call him to the side. Take him inside uh, a tent and you talk to him by yourself. And this is what you're supposed to say to him. Take the flask of oil and pour it on his head and say, Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, I anoint you king over Israel. Then open the door and flee. Do not linger. So the young man, the servant of the prophet, went to Ramoth Gilead. And he does exactly what Elisha told him to do. 
He calls uh, Jehu into an inner chamber. He pours, pours, the oil, pours the oil on his head. He anoints him as king over Israel. Uh, and then he runs. Exactly what Elisha told him to do. Now, there's a caveat in here that Yahweh introduces us to that you need to see. That I think is at the center of why Matthew leaves out these three kings. Look in verse 7. The prophet's talking to Jehu. This is what he says. And you shall strike down the house of Ahab, your master, so that I may avenge on Jezebel the blood of my servants, the prophets. Remember Jezebel killed all the prophets of God, or at least a lot of them, during Elijah's uh, tenure as a prophet. And the blood of all the servants of Yahweh. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. God wipes out Ahab's line. There's not a male among them. And so when Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus, he's not going to include Ahab's descendants. He cuts them out so that they're not going to be a black mark, I suppose. Ahab is what happens when you hear from the Lord, but close your ears. Remember we talked this morning about uh, the possibility of, uh, the impossibility of coming back to the Lord after you know what's right, after you've been saved, but then you walk away from him, it's impossible to come back to him, like it's impossible for God to lie. This is what happens. Ahab is the illustration for that point. If you know what's right, if you've heard from the Lord, if you've been saved, but you walk away from him, this is what happens. God wipes away you. He forgets about you. He wipes you out of the annals of history and wipes you out of his grace. May that never be said of any of us. I know we've had a lot of history and a lot of difficult names, but I think that point can sink down deep inside of each one of us. Allow Ahab and his family, these three missing kings, to be the steady reminder in our life that we need to hear what the Lord says and obey. Without question, without consideration, we follow him. As his people, we follow. And so tonight, if you're ready to follow, if you're ready to give yourself over to him and follow his way and do his will, baptism is the first step. You get baptized into his blood, all your sins are washed away, and you become a brand new creation. Someone that he can use for his purposes and someone that he delights in. Someone that he longs for. Tonight, if you've already made that step and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be, why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing.
Good evening, church family. Chris, great lesson, brother. Appreciate you. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that uh, the toy drive for Hoops Children's Hospital will be going on through December 17th. Also, um, the $5 gift exchange for the middle school and high school will be next Sunday at uh, the Williams House. Is that right? Okay, I didn't want to throw you all under the bus. Um, at the Williams House, uh, there's a $5 gift exchange for our middle school and high school kids uh, next Sunday afternoon after services. Um, it's good to see Sarah here with us uh, uh, this evening. Uh, she was baptized yesterday. It was great news. Praise God for that. Uh, get, a, uh, get a chance to get to know her. Uh, and, um, and that's uh, Ed McAllister's fiance. I'm joking. I'm joking. Evan, I do it because I love you. Uh, that, that's his girlfriend. <laughs> that's his girlfriend. Uh, I love picking on our kids. But um, as also our, uh, Brian mentioned earlier, the food pantry, Fairland uh, High School donated a, over 1,000 cans. And also we're getting a lot of cans from Food Fair. The Rome Township uh, donated some money. Uh, to the church food pantry. And so if you know anybody who needs food, please send them our way because um, we'll have plenty to give to them. And also remember continue to keep the Swindler family in your prayers for the passing of Terry. Um, the funeral will be tomorrow at Hall's Funeral Home from 4 to 5, and then following that will be the funeral services. Also remember continue to keep the Lawson family uh, and the Bowen family in your prayers at this time as well. Uh, the funeral services for um, J.B. and Wanda's son uh, will be at uh, Main Street Church of Christ in Hurricane on December 10th. So remember to keep them in your prayers during this difficult time. Uh, ladies' Cookie Exchange will be December 16th. Uh, so please put that in your calendar. Um, also, um, I just heard news, but uh, also keep the students at OVU in your prayers at this time as well. Um, just keep them in your prayers. Also, remember to continue to keep Judy Gerald and Roger and Diana Duncan in your prayers as they battle through COVID. Also, uh, remember to keep Chris's mother in your prayers, Debbie, at this time as well. And also, Sue Powell has been sick for over a week now. She's at her daughter's house, and hopefully uh, she'll be coming home soon. But she's been sick, so keep Sue Powell in your prayers. That's all the analysis I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Thank you. David, I think you made everybody in that rose face turn red. I'm just <laughs> Our last song this evening, this afternoon, whatever you want to call it, 
is number 841, Sing and Be Happy. The first and last verse, Sing and Be Happy. If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. If your cares and burdens seem gray, all the whole day through, there's a silver light that's shining in the empty black. Look what great night she was great, crossing and crossing. Let's pray at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time together. Father, for the, the beautiful songs we've sung tonight. Father, for our hearts that are joined together in praising you, and we're so thankful for that. Father, for the lesson we heard, the prayer that we've heard already tonight, we're just so thankful for those things that we can learn, uh, Brother Chris has brought to our attention this morning and this evening, Father, that we will never fall away from what we believe no matter how old we get or how young we are, that we will always have you in our hearts, always realizing that you are the only one that can save us from, from this life. Father, we do pray, thanking you for Sarah and others maybe that have been baptized this past week. Father, we just pray you'll bless things upon her, upon others that are maybe thinking about that, Father, within the congregation today or this morning, that they will make that decision as well to become a brother and sister with us. Again, realizing that you are the hope that we have in this life. 
Father, we do pray for the Lawson family and the Bowen family and the Swindler family as they deal with the, the funerals this week. Father, just help them to have fond memories and have the strength that they need to, to deal with the situation. Help us all, Father, as we deal with those kind of things that uh, hard to understand, hard to, to think we can never really get over. We realize that you're there for us all the time and that you're always there to love us and care for us. Father, for those who are facing COVID, Father, just we pray that this will end soon. Uh, we do pray, though, for Roger and Diana and Judy Gerald and others that we may not know of that are facing it, that, that they will be healed and be able to go home to their, to their homes. Father, for the many that have been having treatments and things, we're just thankful that you've blessed so many. We do thank you so much that you've allowed doctors to, to learn and the desire to learn that they can work to, to try to heal us in this life so that we can continue to serve you. Father, bless us through this week. Bless us at school, bless us at home, bless us in our jobs that we will always have you in our hearts, always be thankful for you for those things, but also to, to be a, a light, Father, for you in this world. Help us to do your will. Father, forgive us when we fail against you, and Father, just be with us, and we're thankful for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.